Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. For more information, please call 234-803-481-0869 or for free audio downloads, kindly visit www.davidogaga.org. I'll study on three major works or role of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. The three specific role of the Holy Spirit. This is part three. And we want to deal with the issue of righteousness today. So let's go to John 16 and verse number 8. John 16 verse number 8. And when he is come, he will reprove the wall of sin and of righteousness. And of judgment. Talking about the Holy Spirit now. Of sin because they believe not in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father. And you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now, last time we dealt with the issue of the convention of the world of sin. So today we want to continue from verse 10, which is the issue of righteousness. Now, a close study, like I told us before, the world has to do with the people, not the globe. But then, if you take a critical study of this, as you may have time to do that for yourself, you'll be able to see that the whole thing is dealing with about Christ in relation to the world. Because when you drop down to the verse 11, where it talks about judging the prince of this world, you understand that everything is actually dealing about the world. So, now the first thing we want to establish tonight is the issue of righteousness in relation to the Christ. What is it all about? Now, just read these scriptures with me. John 3 verse 13. It says, John three thirteen, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Verse 14 says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, when you look at this scripture, it's talking about his death. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, book of Numbers, he's talking about his death. Essentially what it means to say is, if Moses is lifted up, I mean lifted up the serpent, and people look on the serpent, they will sail. 
Is that okay? So here he's talking about the salvation of mankind and what is going to happen, essentially. Okay, keep that. Verse 15 says, John 3, 15, that, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Now let's get the picture right. He's talking about Christ, talking about his death, and they're talking about those who come to believe in him. So let's get down to Act 3 and verse 30. Act chapter 3, verse 30. Therefore, Act chapter 3, verse 30. Therefore, being Act 3, 30, 3, 0, not 3. Act chapter 3, verse 30. Okay. Sorry, we're looking at therefore being a prophet. What what verse is this? Oh my God! Act two, please. Let's go to Act two thirty. Not Act three. Act two thirty. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he will raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That David now. He has seen this before I speak of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither is fled this corruption. The next verse says, verse 32, This Jesus had God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Verse 33, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He has shed forth this which you now see and do what? And hear. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to get the picture right. He's going to die. He told us that in John 3, the Son of Man will be lifted up. We draw a man. Those who believe will have eternal life. And then He died. And here we see a kind of um, a prophetic word that is coming by the Holy Spirit through Apostle Peter. And here Peter is saying that a prophetic word that has to come with regard to the death of Jesus and his resurrection is that he was going to sit at the right hand of the Father and the resurrection brought him to that place of sitting at the right hand of the Father. Amen. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does in this context in terms of the righteousness of God is to so prove to the Jewish world who crucified Jesus of the innocency and the holiness of Christ. This is to be established by his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. So when we're talking about the word righteousness, which has to do with holiness, what the Holy Spirit is trying to do or does is to convince the world and especially the same Jewish people who crucified Jesus of the innocency of this man. Remember what we read previously. How that in Matthew 27, Judah said, I have betrayed an innocent blood. How many of you remember that? 
Okay, so now what the Holy Spirit is doing here is to convince the same Jewish set of people in the world that this man is not an imposter. This man is not, as it were, a murderer or a robber or a criminal. You know, he died the death of a criminal. So the Holy Spirit brings the conviction that this man is truly innocent and not a criminal. In other words, he is righteous. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Don't forget. The Holy Spirit will convince the world. And we've established the fact when we talk about the world, primarily we talk about the Jewish nation, the people that crucified Jesus. Is that okay? Now remember, in crucifying him, the fact he was a criminal. Are you getting that? So now, the Holy Spirit is here to convince the world that this man is not a criminal. That's the first place. You get the sequence? Right. So why was that necessary for the Holy Spirit to do this? Because Christ was treated, like I said, by the Jews as an imposter, as a magician, as one possessed by the devil. Remember, they accused him that he had devil. In Matthew 12. Right? As a wicked person, the fair was the seducer and the destroyer of the law. Now, there were a lot of accusations that were heaped on him. Are you getting that? And so, he went to the cross, he was crucified, but now the Holy Spirit is convincing the people. Now remember, even when he was crucified, you find that even the Roman soldiers, by the time he said, My father, my father, what have thou forsaken me? And then there was this thundering and lightning and, you know, darkness and all of those things. Remember that? The voice came and then the soldiers made a confession of the truth, did the Son of God. Remember that? Good. That was the conviction. That was the beginning of the conviction. So the whole world is getting convinced that of a truth, they simply crucified an innocent man. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So the righteousness we see in there is the righteousness primarily of Christ. Are you getting that? It will convince the world of sin. What is the sin? The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Right? Now, it will make the world to understand that there is no other sacrifice other than the sacrifice of, of Jesus. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is to convince the world that this man that was crucified is truly the Messiah. Yet, he was an innocent man, but those people accused him to be a criminal. So the righteousness of Christ is what the Holy Spirit is convincing the world of. So when he says he will convince the world of righteousness, is to prove to the world that Jesus is innocent. Are you getting that? Praise the Lord. So therefore the Holy Spirit firstly has to convince or vindicate those charges, or vindicate him from those charges by his influence in the heart of the people. The heart of man, as the advocate of Christ in this content, who by his influence in the heart of the people, we come to the realization that the man that was crucified was truly an innocent man. That's the righteousness. So the righteousness there is actually talking about the righteousness of who? Of Christ. Primarily. Hallelujah. 
Now we find that the Holy Spirit actually brings this conviction into play using people to do it. Like the apostles. Remember what we said last week? When Peter started speaking, what happened? The people came to the point and said, Brethren, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, You better repent. And then your sin shall be forgiven. And thou shalt be saved. How many of you remember that? That was the conviction. The God conviction of sin. Right. Now, the next thing the Holy Spirit is to do is to convince the people that crucify him that this man is innocent. You see that? Hallelujah. Okay. So the Holy Spirit, yes, has to do this. Uh, and, and this is going to be done through a people. Just like the conviction came through the apostles, this same conviction that this man is a righteous man is going to come through the preaching of the word of the apostles. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So you will find that the Holy Spirit through the apostles, which, which of course also include even you now, we have to convince the world by speaking from you and through you about the innocency of Jesus. This is why it's imperative for you to proclaim the gospel. Because the more you get people to understand about Jesus, the more people get convicted of Jesus. Whether they be Muslim, whatever group they might be, the more you speak about Jesus and the conviction comes. Now the conviction will not just come without you speaking to people about Jesus. Are you still with me? Praise the Lord. So the first set of people to be convicted on this ground of the holiness and the righteousness and innocency of Jesus were the Jewish people who actually crucified him. And then we find that to be also we the Gentiles as the Jewish rulers. Praise the Lord. Now, you know that the Jewish people were expecting the Messiah to come. And so when he came and said he's a Messiah, they never believed him. When he said he's the Son of God, they chose to even want to stone him. Remember that? But you see, Jesus personally spoke to the woman at the well that he's a Messiah that we're waiting for. You must understand that the Samaritans were actually... The other tribe, if I may use the word, of the Jewish nation. So you have Israel, you have Judah. Samaritans were morally like Israel. Judah was the other tribe belonging to Rehoboam. And Samaritans or the Samarians, which are Israelite now, belong to Jeroboam. After the death of Solomon, they now have two kingdoms. You understand that? So the person that Jesus was speaking to was supposed to be a Jewish person. But of course, this time, by reason of the division of the kingdom, they were Samaritans. That's the difference. And that is why you find out the Bible says, I am not sent but to the lost tribe of Israel, which has to do with the Samaritans now. Are you getting this? So when Jesus was speaking, the woman had made a confession. And what, are you not a prophet or something like that? And he said, well, he is the one they were expecting. Are you not the Messiah we are looking for? 
he, he actually convinced the woman and revealed her, himself to the woman that is the Messiah that they were looking for. Is that alright? Okay. In Matthew 11, you find the same picture played out. The Messiah has some signs that were supposed to accompany him. Miracles, signs and wonders that were going to perform when it comes as being the son of David. So, in Matthew 11, you find that when John the Baptist was put in prison, he sent his disciples to go find out from Jesus. If he is the one they were looking for. And the question is, are you the one or should we find another? In other words, are you the Messiah that we are waiting for? Or that we are looking for? Or that we are supposed to expect in Israel? And Jesus said, you go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the tongue speak. It is anything more than that. Now John would definitely understand that he is a Messiah if he said this science accompanying his ministry. Are you getting that? So he didn't tell him I'm the Messiah. He simply told him, go tell him what is going on. What that means is, if the Messiah comes, these are the things that he was supposed to do. And that's what the Jews understood and that's what they believed. So if these things are happening in my ministry, tell John this what you see. Meaning he was saying, I am the Messiah. But you see, the Jews don't believe him that he's the Messiah. Is that okay? Right. And the Messiah often will call the Lord. Or the Christ. Christus. Is that okay? Now, I may find time to deal with that a little bit sometime. But understand this. When you look at the book of Revelation. Right? Let me just... Revelation chapter 1 again. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, this is what it says. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This book is this record. Come on, give me King James. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Now, I want you to see the word Jesus Christ. Is that okay? That's what I'm looking for. Now, if you check it out closely, in a close study, what you're going to find is, the revelation of the Savior anointed. Christ is not the anointing. Christ is the anointed. In fact, is the anointed one. So the word should be the Savior anointed. Because in Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says he shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Are you getting that? So the word Jesus means what? Savior. Then the word Christ means what? Anointed. So it's not the anointing. Christ is not the anointing. Christ is the anointed. You have to establish that first. You find the same principle in, in, in the book of, I think, Genesis 28. You find that when, when Jacob was running away and he slept, he woke up and at this heaven, the ladder. What did he do? He anointed a stone. Are you getting that? Good. So, if the word Christ means anointing, that means the stone is anointing. But what it really means is the stone is anointed. Are you following this? Now, I'm trying to explain this for you to understand. That Christ is not the anointing, but what? The anointed one. And so, you find that the Bible says, God have made that same Jesus, whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. So what it means is, 
He is the Lord and the anointed one. Therefore in Luke chapter 4, Jesus will say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So because he's anointed him, he's the anointed one. Are you getting that? So the anointed one in the Greek means the Messiah. You get the point now? Good. In Greek, it means the Messiah. The anointed one in Hebrew. The anointed one means what? The Messiah. So now, what we're looking at when Jesus was saying they're looking for the Messiah, he is saying he is a Christ. The world say he is a Christ. That means he is the Messiah. Because the word Christ is the same thing as the Messiah. The anointed one. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Can you get it now? And he went about what? Doing good. Very good. You get the picture now? So because he was anointed, anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now why do you think he's Jesus of Nazareth? Not because he was born in Nazareth, but because basically he had the headquarters in Nazareth. But essentially, for you also to be able to know the exact one that he's talking about, because there were several other people whose name were Jesus. But this is the Jesus of Nazareth, a specific one. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Did you say Jesus? And end there. Because there were several other Jesuses. You getting it now? Very good. Okay, so we can progress with what we're dealing with. So we find that this Holy Spirit gets into the hearts through the gospel of the apostles to create a conviction in the heart of these people for them to accept that the Messiah they were waiting for is right available. Now, there are a lot of people today who do not really truly believe. I mean, I'm talking about the Jewish people. In Israel, we see our people who are still waiting for the Messiah up to now. So what that really means is the Holy Spirit have not truly been able to convince them yet. And I believe it's because maybe we've not had people to truly preach to them about the Christ. So that they can get a conviction that the Messiah they were expecting is the very one that has come and gone. And right available now by the Holy Spirit as well. Amen. Are you there with me? So here we'll find that we are saying the conviction has to do with for the people and the world to understand that the person whom they are crucified was both Lord and Christ. Lord made the governor of the universe by whom all things are made and Christ the Lord's anointed who is the promised Messiah. This is just what it means, the Lord anointed. Is that okay? Is the promised Messiah. Now let's look at a few scriptures on this. As to how the apostles begin to preach this. Let's first of all go to Acts chapter 9, verse 21. Acts 9, 21. Hallelujah. Paul is speaking. But all that heard them were amazed and said, It's not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem. And came either for that innocent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. Now, this is after the conversion of Apostle Paul now. Is that alright? What's the next verse? But Saul increased more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwell at Damascus, proving, what's the proving? 
that this is very Christ. I want you to get that. This is very Christ. What it means to say, this is the expected Messiah. Now, who was he talking to here? Look at it again. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded which people? The Jews. You got that? Quit dwell at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. It was proven to the Jews. Now, don't forget this. We are saying the Holy Spirit will convince the world of what? Of righteousness. And the people that crucify him essentially are the Jews, the prince of this world. Remember that? Good. Now, Paul is got converted. And now, by the inflow of the Holy Spirit, he is convincing or speaking to the Jews now who crucified Jesus that this man that we crucified, thinking that he's an imposter, thinking that he's a criminal, is the Lord's word anointed. In other words, the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul here is speaking to prove the innocency of Jesus, which means the righteousness of who? Of Jesus Christ. So, the Spirit will convince the world of righteousness. So, primarily, he has to convince the Jews that the man that they crucified, thinking that he's a criminal, is truly the expected Messiah. And he's an innocent man. Are you getting this? Hallelujah. Okay. Look at the next verse. Um, okay. Move down to Acts chapter 17. And verse 1. But I love this place. So the Jews are dwelling in Damascus. Uh, no, this is so, so this is the very Christ. The very Christ. I like the way it is. Okay. Um, yes. Acts chapter 17 verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where was the synagogue of the Jews. I want you to see the target. Is that okay? Next verse. And Paul, as the manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbaths reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Verse 3. Opening and alleging that Christ must need have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you getting that? This Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. So the whole burden of the message is to convince the Jews to accept the fact that Jesus was the expected Messiah. That was the gospel that the apostles were preaching. Are you getting it now? Good. Now don't forget what we're dealing with. The Holy Spirit will convince the world of what? Of righteousness. The innocency of the man they crucified. So here Paul is trying to tell them, listen to me friends, I am a Jewish man like you. We all have actually stood to crucify. Remember, even when Stephen was killed, Paul was there. The clothes of Stephen were at the feet of Paul. When they crucified Stephen, and then he got letters from the synagogue chiefs and priests or whatever. And he was going to everywhere find a Christian who get him arrested. Right? 
But then he got a blinding experience on the road to Damascus. Remember, he was going to Damascus. A blinding experience. And then later he came back and started speaking to the Jews in Damascus. That is like saying we're on the wrong course. Everything we are thinking about this man is not true. He's a genuine man. He's a righteous man. He's a holy man. He's truly sent off and by God. Are you following me? Praise the Lord. So there's the point. Now, look at the last, last statement here. It says, Whom I preach unto you. Now, you take it from there. He said, And that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And that is a strong statement. Like I'm trying to explain. This Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And I have defined for you what Christ stands for. Christ is the expected Messiah. That's the word Christ. Christ is not anointed. And people talk about Christos sometimes. And other times you hear people talk in terms of theology, they talk Christology. And so maybe sometimes they try to marry it to the point of just the anointing, you know. No, 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 no. Christ is not the anointing. Christ is the anointed one. Is that alright? Is that okay? I'm a fan time to even talk to you a little bit on what you call this anointing and what you call this olive oil thing. Uh, because you see, no Jewish man travels on the road without oil. Even before Christ came into the scene. Oil was used basically medicinally. Right? To treat wound. That is why you find that the man that fell on the road to Jericho, when the Samaritan man came, he picked the man up and rubbed oil on him. So oil was made to treat wounds. That's how the Jewish people were using it. And so when James starts saying, is anyone sick? Let them anoint him with oil. It was like saying, apply medical treatment, then pray. But you see, verse 5 of that verse says, The prayer of the righteous will save the sick. He didn't say the oil will save the sick. How are you getting this? So it's like a preparation for prayer. But it is not the oil that saves the sick. It's not the oil that heals the sick. Is the prayer of the righteous that heal the sick. That's what James said. You understand that? So basically, oil is like you go to farm, you come back sometimes. Of course, we have all been getting anointed every day in that sense with oil. Because when you rub your body cream, I remember my mom used to say that when she comes from the farm, after taking her bath, she begin to pause and say, oh man, this oil is too much. He said, no, it will make my body soft and relaxed. Medical. So it was not a biblical thing. It was just a tradition. Are you following what I'm talking about? Hallelujah. So here is the here is story now. We are looking at this Jesus who I preach unto you is... Christ. Simply meaning, he is the anointed one or the Messiah that we all were expecting. Now, 
If you, if you follow it, the Bible says, reason from these scriptures. That means, it's like saying, he was going from the Old Testament, I begin to explain to them, how that this Jesus, prophetically, is being fulfilled as the Messiah. He reason from these scriptures. Hallelujah. Okay, let's take something again, another apostle. Acts chapter 18. Remember what I told you? The Holy Spirit is convinced of the world of righteousness through the message of the apostles. And what is the righteousness? The innocency of who? Of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that is a righteous man. He's not a thief, he's not a robber, he's not a criminal. After the Holy Spirit have convicted the world of the fact that is a Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, now the Holy Spirit is to convince the people that this man that we crucified is truly a righteous man. Amen? Act 18 verse 26. Act 18 26. Hallelujah. Now this is Apollos. Now Apollos was somebody that was very, uh, the Bible made us understand, very eloquent. Go to verse 24 and read. Let's look at that. Verse 24. Let's get a background to this man. And a certain Jew, and this is very important, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, and an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And be fathered in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Record how did that as at the time this incident took place, it was only about 20 years when the Holy Spirit had been poured out. But this man knows nothing about the Holy Spirit. He has no understanding about the things that the Spirit is doing as at the time this incident took place. The Bible says he was heavily anointed, I mean, instructed in the word of the Lord. And look at the credential. He was fervent in spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. But he was limited to just knowing only the baptism of John. Now, so, that's why sometimes, help me Lord. Sometimes, fervency and eloquency, it, it does not equal True understanding and spirituality. God may have moved out, but somebody can still be so fervent in what God have left behind. Are you following me? I'm struggling right now to get a message down that I'm going to be preaching in a conference. Which seems to be a big conference. But I've been able to assess the people and I find that they are far behind. I won't classify them to be old school. It's just that they are just far behind. But they feel very fervent. Are you getting that? Now I'm struggling on how I'll be able to approach them. I almost intended to decline the offer to go preach to them. But I have to go. But now I'm struggling on how I can be able to make them see from scriptures that even in that which they are clinging on to, they are far behind. That's a very hard task. Let's look at the next thing. Verse 26. The Bible says, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now remember, it was a Jewish man. Who when Aquila and Priscilla had held, they took him unto them and expanded unto him the word of God. What more 
perfectly. So there is a perfect will of God. A perfect will of understanding God. It's not just enough of being fathomed. Hallelujah. Verse 27. Forget that thing out there. 27. And when he was disposed to pass into a care, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciple to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which he had believed through grace. Hallelujah. For he mightily, look at that verse 28, convinced the Jews, which people? The Jews. Remember, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. John chapter 1, remember that? Who are that his own? The Jewish people. So the first people, oh help me. See what Jesus told them in the book of Acts? When he was talking about you shall be witnesses. Keep this place, go to Acts chapter 1. Let me show you something. Acts chapter 1, look at verse number 8. Act 1, verse number 8. You come back to this place. But they shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both where? Jerusalem, and where? In Judea, and where? In Samaria, and where? Unto the utmost part of the earth. You can see where it starts from. First Jerusalem. Who were the people occupying Jerusalem? The Jews. Where was he killed? The Jews. So the first person that the gospel have to go to were which people? The Jews. Are you following this? The Jews, Judea, the Judah now, then Samaria, the two divisions of the kingdom. Judea, Judah, Samaria. Are you getting that? Before the utmost part of the earth. You see that? So back again to Act 18. Back to Act 18, verse 28. And he said, For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Are you seeing that? This is what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. This is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit should do. So when he said, I go to my father and you see me no more. Anyway, let's go back there. You read what I was trying to see so that I will show you more. Um, John 16, back to John 16. And I will come back. 16 verse 8, very quickly. John 16 verse 8. And when he is come, Jesus speaking, when who is come? The Holy Spirit is come. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse number 9. Of sin because they believe not on me. We dealt with that last time. Is that okay? Now look at the next thing. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. In other words, you're going to talk to the people. I'll make you see that. What do you mean? I don't know how far time is now. But let's see. Time is almost gone. Oh my God. Because I want to tell you, be part. But let me go on a little bit. Maybe we can deal with that next week. So we find that, back again to Acts 18, verse 28. <clears throat> so here we find Apollos reasoning from the scriptures and trying to convince the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Is that alright? 
Okay. So, we find that it was such a major issue and significant that the character, the innocence and holiness of the person of Christ, who is the founder of Christianity or the Christian race, be completely established and demonstrated. By implication, help me now. The Christian race is a righteous race because the founder is a righteous person. Are you with me? This is going to take us to what we deal with the other aspect of it about the issue of righteousness as it relates to you. There is no way the head is righteous that the body cannot be righteous. <laughs> Are you sitting there with me? So the Holy Spirit will come, that's why I'm going to be part of this, the Holy Spirit will convince you that you are what? Righteous. Why? Because the head is righteous. But the primary emphasis is to establish the innocency, the holiness of this man called Jesus, who is the founder of the Christian race. But the first people to get this conviction into, we are supposed to be the Jews. Because they crucify him. Remember, Barabbas was supposed to be a murderer. They took Jesus in place of Barabbas. Is that okay? Remember, to them, he was a seditionist. He was trying to form another community. As a matter of fact, they accused him saying that he's a king. And that's why they say the king of the Jews. What that means is he's trying to form his own empire. Outside of the Roman Empire. Because at the time when he was born, the Roman Empire as it were, held Israel or the Jewish people as their territory. They were paying tax to Rome. So when you say Jesus is the king, the common understanding is people will start paying tax to their king. So if he said, that's why they told Pilate, he said he's a king. Right? Now, Pilate was so shaken and afraid because if you have sent the fact that Jesus is a king, that means the Jews will no longer pay tax to Rome. And then he, his own job will be in problem. Because Pilate was working for Rome. Are you with me now? Good. So that's why I ask, are you a king of the Jews? That's why I asked him the question in John 18 or so. Now, what he wanted to establish the fact of the fact is, if you say you are the Jew, I mean the king of the Jews, that means you are trying to say, you know, you are trying to form a sedition. It's like a, a treasonable charge. You're trying to create another country outside of the Roman Empire for yourself. It means you got followers that want to cut out of the Roman Empire to establish another nation. In other words, you're trying to lead a revolution. So to him and to the Jewish people who do not believe in him, Jesus was a revolutionist. And in true sense, he was. But not in a political sense. He was a spiritual revolutionist. Are you still there with me? That's why you find that those who truly follow Jesus, they are actually revolutionists. Because you see, this is the testimony they heard of Paul, of Paul. And say, the men that turned the world upside down, they've come here. That's revolution. Is that alright? So, Jesus was accused of all of these facts. Therefore, he was qualified to be killed because that's sedition. Is that alright? So he was a criminal. It was anything you can imagine. That's why they took Barabbas and they said, crucify that man. Who's trying to lead us? And if the Jewish people trying to say, this man is trying to lead us out of Roman colonization, if you will. Hallelujah. If I say, we don't believe in him. 
He's, he's an impulse as a criminal. He's not who he claims to be. Right? Good. So now the Holy Spirit comes in to convince the Jews that the thought they had about Jesus was wrong. That Jesus was a holy man. Jesus was a true man. Jesus was truly a righteous man. He was innocent of all the accusations they've ever brought against him. Amen? Are you still there? That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. So, ah, oh, time again. Whew. Praise the Lord. Okay, so, we just want to say that. So, like I was saying, the key point is, the founder of the Christian race has to be conveniently established. I mean, the conviction have to go into the world, first of all, the Jews, that this man was innocent. This man have no stain. Now, you, you, can, you, can, you can't tag Jesus with any other religious leader in any way. You can't tag him with anybody. You can, you can compare him with anybody. You can't compare him with any other religion on the world. You just cannot. Amen? Hallelujah. Yeah, you, you, take a story, I mean, take a study of all the religious leaders. Confucio, Mohammed, just go on reading and reading. You just can't compare any one of them with Jesus. Praise the Lord. So we find that in order to prove the character and the nature of the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit have to come to do that. And so we find that the Jews that put him to death, now the Holy Spirit is trying to justify him that he was crucified innocently. He was truly an innocent man. He was truly a righteous man. He had no stain in him. Now, this mission of the Holy Spirit in establishing the innocence of Christ that speaks of Islam nature, the spotlessness of him as the only sacrifice of the Father for the sin of humanity has literally been fulfilled. I'm going to end there. What I mean is, remember, the Bible says, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. How many of you understand that? And they are made to understand for every lamb to be sacrificed, it has to be washed, and then it has to be examined by the high priest. Remember that? So we said Jesus was washed, that was baptism, and then for the priest to examine him by questioning him, can't you see what they are saying against you? What were they trying to find out? They were trying to find out if the lamb has some spot in him. Now the lamb nature of Jesus was completely established. Now the Holy Spirit is making us to see that of a true this man was a clean man. And that will bring it to your point as we progress. If the lamb is without spot, then the followers should be without spot. Now let me read the scripture and I will close tonight. Revelation 14. Revelation 14. This is what it says. Are you there with me? Revelation 14 verse 1. And I look and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in where? In their foreheads. What is that supposed to mean? Now, now, now. You listen to this. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood. One lamb of Mount Zion and with him are what? 144,000 of what? Of lambs. 
Are you still there with me? So this 144 people, they have the same lamb nature. He didn't say the lamb is standing and some people are standing with him. The people that are standing with him of Mount Zion are also what? Lambs. So until you become a lamb, you can't stand with him in Mount Zion. You got to understand that. Are you sitting there with me? This is where it concerns you. We're going to deal with all of that. <laughs> that for you to start now. Mount Zion is the highest place in terms of Israel. It's a place where David was with his family. It's a place for the king. It's a place where decrees are made. Place where laws are made. So the people that can stand to make laws in God's kingdom are the lamb people, which I will call the lamb company. Hallelujah. You following me? So, the Holy Spirit is proving to the world that Jesus is through the Lamb of God without spot, without blemish. And then there are a company of people who are now with Him in Mount Zion, which is the church of the living God. Praise the Lord. Are you getting along with me so far? I want you to catch it because it's very important. So the Holy Spirit is proving this fact. So number one, we can understand tonight, Jesus is an innocent man. And we can receive that understanding through the influence of the Holy Spirit. So if we truly have apostolic people today who are preaching the gospel of Jesus, we should be able to establish through this medium the conviction of the heart of people that Jesus is innocent, he is spotless, he is blameless, his personality is a clean one, and then the church that he has established is also a clean one. Because if the head is clean, the body is also clean.